two years after Kenya experienced the unprecedented violence that we call the post-election violence of 2007-2008, I went to sit with 90-year-old Mzewa Ithaka, and I wanted to know how it is that people killed each other so wantonly and what he thought were the causes. In the characteristic ways of the old and the wise, he answered by telling me this story from his youth. This story, told to me in 2009, is narrated by Koyo, an artist, singer-songwriter in Kenya. Listen to his work, including his latest single, Butter, on your favorite music channel. Welcome to Living Memories, the podcast by Alcags. These are a collection of stories told to me by Kenyans who lived in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. Once a week, we release a true story about an ordinary person who lived in the extraordinary times of our history. We hope it inspires you to reach out to a mze or a mama in your family and community and listen to their stories, and we hope that you write those stories down. If you do, and you want us to read them here, send me an email on livingmemories at alcags.me. When I was born, around 1930, on a region Fort Hall, which is the present-day Moranga district, the political leadership that people around me were aware of consisted of the foreman, the headman, the chief, the district officer, and when things were very bad, the district commissioner. At the time I was born, my father was a normal peasant who worked hard in reduced circumstances. Having lost a lot of property, goats, cows, land, and a daughter, was to the headman. The headman was the African collaborator who was appointed by the colonialists on behalf of King George to ensure that we African miscreants were kept busy and out of trouble. Officially, though, we were to be protected from a dirty, evil group of thugs who, in the name of fighting imperialism, was slowing the progress that His Royal Majesty's service was intent on bringing to Kenya. Indeed, just around the time I was born, my father's younger brother, the impetuous Rogiri, left his young wife and four children to go to Kipipiri in the Abadeas to join this growing army of killers, looters, and general hooligans. He was going to fight for our land. He said, the foreman, a really sly, evil man to this day, called Joroge, at some point decided to go to Washerawarugiri's 
my uncle's wife, had have his way with her and occupy the place of her husband, who he promised her was dead. He did have his way with her, but did not stay beyond the first day. She scalded his buttocks and I believe other vital areas with boiling hot water as he slept after raping her. It has never been confirmed to me, but I do believe these two things to be true. That my cousin, Wagari Waje Gari, was the fruit of Joroge's loins, and that she was the last of such fruit. Because Joroge has only one son, Washira, who is older than Wagari for mortally scalding the foreman. Washera was dragged out of her house to the chief's office where a mock trial was held. She was found guilty of attempting to destroy an important asset of his royal majesty's colonial service for no apparent reason that the crime happened on her husband's bed was deemed to be neither here nor there. Washera was sentenced to be flogged in front of the villagers as a lesson to others. On the appointed day, the flogging was started off by Moshiri, the headman, and was for half an hour after that, continued by the administration guards, Gekonyo and Kamau. Washera defiantly survived that beating, with nearly a whimper coming out of her mouth, I'm told. After she healed, a few months later, while pregnant, she disappeared, leaving her children sleeping in my mother's hut. A month later, the rising sun illuminated the head of the headman hoisted up perfectly upon the pole where Washera had been flogged. The heads of the two guards sat on the ground by the pole. The chief's body was found on his bed. Both the chief's head and the bodies of the other three were never found. Things got worse for my family after this, as my father became the target of many a government crackdown. Eventually, my family moved to Rumuruti, walking all the way through the forests, guarded by my aunt, Corporal W. So I grew up in the highlands, free and playful, until I was about 12. We then moved to the Rushmore Manor in Kipipiri, where my father tended tea, a crop that was still novel and interesting. One evening, as the young men sat around the fire near the various huts, 
that made up the servants' quarters. My ankorogiri, then Mejakeike, I don't know why, and his wife, Kopro Washera, suddenly appeared in our midst. Somehow, they had managed to sneak in as we carried out our evening activity without being noticed as only the Mau Mau could do. My uncle was on a mission. He explained to my father this after the usual greetings that you young people call long, that the struggle was going well. Victory was nigh, he was sure. And the white man was going to pack his bags sooner rather than later. The challenge was that the struggle needed two kinds of people. Warriors in the forest like him and his family and leaders for the country after independence. These leaders would need to know the ways of the white man and foresee and stop any antics to subjugate our people before the white man could execute them. The Mau Mau, therefore, wanted my father to make a decision once and for all. Should I, his first son, though there were many girls before me, (laughs) go with them to the forest or with the missionaries for the white man's education? This is how I ended up doing my KAPE exams at the mission school in Kegumo, back in Fort Hall. This is how I ended up among the jet set on my way to Syracuse in the USA. This is how I ended up as an administration officer in the Ministry of Finance and later in the Nairobi City Council. In the good old days, the 70s, when Nairobi was the green city under the sun. Now that you are where you are, and I am in the twilight of my years, you come here to my house in the highlands where I grew up to ask me for answers. You want to know why a while ago you picked up machetes and other weapons. And as your media writers and so-called analysts say, killed each other. Which implies to me that you're all dead. You want me to tell you why those shaggy-haired, unemployed young people who started out trying to re-escape the old Gekoyo ways ended up chopping off people's heads on a nightly basis, reminiscent of the terror the Mau Mau brought upon traitors. Well, in a few words, my answer would be that some of us went to the forest and others to the mission schools. <laughs> <laughs>